I like the business of restaurants. I'm inspired to manage a good business and to try to take the same creativity to managing numbers as I do managing the experience or the food or the music or the design. I, I enjoy that. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. What does it take to be considered the best by your peers, by the critics? What systems need to be in place? What ethos, what culture is required to master the craft and continually evolve and raise the bar on a guest's dining experience? Will Gadira is the former owner of Make It Nice, the hospitality group known for many restaurants, including 11 Madison Park, and he's also the author of Unreasonable Hospitality. Will, how are you? I'm doing well, Huck. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to have you on the show. I could probably introduce you with many things. You've done many things and are doing many things. But <laughs> take us back to that moment when 11 Madison Park was named number one in the build-up to that. How do you, how do you look back at that time and, and what was it like? You know, it's funny. There's this, this quote often attributed to Maya Angelou, which... I think is one of the best quotes about hospitality. People will forget what you say, they'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And the way my memory works around most things <laughs> is a great reflection of that quote because I don't remember all the details of the moment, right? I just remember the feeling of it. You know, when you set out to accomplish something, you do it for for multiple reasons, right? When it comes to accolades, accolades are a great motivation, right? It's the, the carrot almost. Um, but the aspiration to top that list was as much about the affirmation that we were making an impact as it was about the accolade itself. And I had this crazy dream that if we were as unreasonable in our pursuit of how we made people feel as the great chefs around the world had been for years in pursuit of what they put on the plate, that that was an impact I would be proud to make. And I remember them calling out the number two restaurant in the world and it not being us and just the feeling that washed over me that was affirmation or rather confirmation that we had won and kissing my wife and approaching that stage knowing that there were hundreds of us the 150 people that worked there then and the many hundreds more that had worked with us over the years before that point that had given so much of themselves to take care of others and that moment was an acknowledgement that we had made some amount of impact in in our field around this idea that hospitality should be placed at the center of every decision. And, and it was one of those great moments in life and I'm, I'm so proud that we did it, and, but more proud that when I go to restaurants everywhere now, I, uh, I see other people doing the same thing and whether that had anything to do with us or not is, is almost irrelevant. Just the idea that hospitality is a noble pursuit that that can be energizing and fulfilling and reaffirming and yeah that's that's how i remember the feeling of that moment affecting me 
you're right in, in what you said about awards. They're, they're kind of acknowledgement for the hard work. They don't necessarily um, make a business successful. But h- how do you, do you feel the day after and moving forward after reaching those heights? Is the, are the pressures different? Is there a, a different feeling in the way you do things? Well, the pressures aren't different, I don't think. I think when, listen, you get to a certain place in your career or in your your growth because of the pressure you put on yourself more than any external pressure that could be put upon you. Um, I do think that when you use an accolade to drive you, the moment you've achieved that accolade is a, is a challenging moment because then you need to kind of recenter yourself and remember the thing you're actually striving for, as I just articulated the impact, not the accolade, although the accolade is nice. Um, I mean, what we did, <laughs> we, we decided that that was an opportune time to shut down the restaurant for three months and do a full gut renovation and begin our next chapter. Um, which from a business perspective was not the most wise because that award does most certainly <laughs> result in every seat being filled for the foreseeable future. And then if you're a staunch business person, closing the restaurant during that inflection point is probably not the wisest, but it also feels like we all have these seasons in our lives and there are inflection points that define the beginning and the end of those seasons. And achieving that goal felt like the appropriate time to end that chapter and to begin another one. I want to explore sort of what you're doing now and also your book, Unreasonable Hospitality, shortly. Um, But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Well, it's interesting. Food played one role, restaurants played another. Um, And I draw the distinction for reasons that will become clear. My, my dad was a restaurateur my entire life. I've, I've grown up in restaurants. That's what he did the entire time. I, that's all he's ever done. And it's all I've ever done. Um, I was, and to this day, am um, very, very, very close with my dad. He was and is my hero. And I always wanted to be like him my entire life. Um. And when you work restaurant hours, if anyone listening here does work restaurant hours, you understand that if a kid wants to spend time with his dad and his dad works in restaurants, you go to the restaurant with your dad. That's the best way to spend time with him. And and so I grew up in dining rooms and kitchens. And my mother, when I was uh, very young, was a flight attendant for American Airlines. So they they had different roles in the in the hospitality industry, but they were both in it. My mother, however, when I was very young, was diagnosed with brain cancer and ultimately became a quadriplegic. And so it fell on my dad and me to take care of her. What that meant was I'm not the person with the idyllic stories of dinner around the family table. That wasn't our reality. Uh, my dad worked restaurant hours and we ate what we needed to eat in order to get through the day. And when you're 10 years old and you're taking care of your mom, that does not result in these beautiful homemade gourmet meals. Um, that said, I grew up in restaurants and the time around the table, whatever we were eating was precious because I would feed my mom at night. And I've always said that 
It's impossible to know how good it feels to give hospitality until you first received it and then experienced the profoundly energizing impact of giving it. And from my dad, I received it because he was my hero before my mom got sick. But after she got sick, I mean, he would work 15 hours days and somehow figure out how to get her ready and out of bed and into her wheelchair and showered and dressed and ready to go and then go out and work 15 hours and then come home, do it all in reverse for her. And yet also somehow figure out how to be a good father and honestly mother for me. And so from him, I learned how good it felt to receive hospitality. And with my mother, I mean, listen, I also received it from her. She taught me the power of nonverbal communication that even when she couldn't really talk, I've never felt as loved by anyone as I did by her. But also, I learned how good it feels to take care of someone that you love, how good it is to serve them, how good it is to give them hospitality. And between my respective relationships with both of them, either in my dad's restaurants with him or at home around our kitchen table eating whatever we were eating, I have a connection to that, being around the table, serving and being served by the people you love. That move uh, that you made into the hospitality at a, a young age, those sort of that first sort of decade as you were building your career, what were the sort of really key people you worked with and, and the venues that really helped you carve a path? Well, I mean, to begin with, even though I never worked for him officially, my dad, my dad is, is my, my biggest mentor. Um, and he was always on my shoulder throughout my professional growth because what he inspired me to do early on was to dream as big as a person could dream, but understand that getting there takes time. Understanding that if you want to build a skyscraper, you need to have a remarkably solid foundation. Um, And so he was very intentional and very involved with helping me select every single one of my jobs in the beginning. I mean, I started as a busboy at a local steakhouse and then ended up as a server at a restaurant called Tribeca Grill and then a busboy at Spago in Beverly Hills and then a cook at another one of Wolfgang Puck's restaurants before going to Cornell to study hospitality and then spending some time in Spain before going to work for Danny Meyer. Um, And then in Danny Meyer, I found my next mentor who, you know, taught me about the, well, I mean, honestly, working for Danny showed me that in a, in a industry dominated by celebrity chefs, that there was such a thing as a celebrity restaurateur. And I use the word celebrity because I think it's relevant. I think that when you want to be the best at something, it's good to have someone that has achieved both notoriety and credibility and success to look up to. Um, And Danny was that person for me, but he also taught me about restaurants can be centered around not just the food, but the hospitality. And he taught me the importance of language to articulate an idea and a culture. Um, And so I would say it was mostly the two of them, my dad and Danny Meyer, with with plenty of others along the way. But if I were to to really focus in on two people, they would be the two. Tell us about the beginnings of uh, Make It Nice, the hospitality group that uh, created so many incredible experiences, not just in New York, but in in Vegas and and in London as well. How did that all start? Well, so I was an employee 
at 11 Madison Park when we were approached um, to basically open the food and beverage at the Nomad Hotel in New York. And I think anyone who is an entrepreneur can relate to the idea that you have in your gut this need to be an entrepreneur. Um, you feel it inside of yourself. It's a scary, insanely wild ride to get on. But when you know that that's what you want to do, there's nothing else that will will bring you peace or satisfaction. And I loved 11 Madison Park. We were just beginning our journey there, or not just beginning, but we knew we had a long way to go. And we went to Danny Meyer to effectively say, hey, we'd like to go start our own company at Nomad, but we want to continue working for you at 11 Madison Park because our our journey is far from, from done here. Um, and Danny ultimately said no to that because, and listen, in his infinite wisdom, he understood that being partners in one operation and being competitors in another a few blocks down the road would be rife with conflict over time. But he did something that I had no idea he would do. He said, I don't feel comfortable doing that, but how about you buy a Love Madison Park from me? And it was one of those moments where, and by the way, this is the beautiful thing about becoming an entrepreneur for the first time. You have no idea what you're walking into. You just have all the excitement and optimism and energy in the world. And without even taking a breath, I said, yes. Um, and then had to figure out how to do that, <laughs> which, um, which is a lot. You have to raise money. You have to secure financing and debt and set up infrastructure, accounting, HR, all this stuff. And I mean, in September of one year, I was an employee at one restaurant. And six months later, I was the owner of a company that had two. And by the way, you talk about that Maya Angelou quote. If you were to ask me for details about that transition, I could not recollect any of them. I don't think it's dissimilar to when I asked my wife if she remembers the discomfort of giving birth to our first child. I mean, there's a, <laughs> I think it's bred into us that we don't remember the challenging parts about bringing things into existence. Otherwise we would not be inclined to want to do it again. But um, that's how it came to pass. And thankfully, you know, we were surrounded by a group of some of the most extraordinarily talented people in the industry. And every one of them has gone on to do such amazing things. And collectively as this, you know, collection of scrappy people we we somehow willed into existence and and the rest was history it's a nice reflection that you have about um not remembering the challenges there but was there a turning point within the group or within the restaurants where you realized you know it was becoming your vision and um you were gaining momentum i mean <clears throat> the thing that was great about danny in the um in the autonomy he gave us prior to that at 11 Madison Park. And this is one of the things that makes him such a great leader is that restaurant already felt like our vision. And so it wasn't like we bought it and then started to make it our own. We ran it like owners. And by the way, whether 
people that are listening to this are owners or employees and whether you're ever given the opportunity to buy the restaurant you work in is irrelevant. The people that grow in their careers are those that act like they're in the role that they want to have, regardless of whether they're in that role yet. Um, I believe in hindsight and reflection that we were given the opportunity to buy that restaurant because we were already acting like we owned it. And by the way, that's what I want in someone that works for me is to act like an owner. And the people that do are those that I'm going to want to invite to the table and make a partner. Um, those that wait for the role to be given to them before they step up and start to assume responsibility are the ones that are going to be waiting a very long time. Was it hard for you to let go of, uh, of the group um, after the, what you had built? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, a restaurant a team of people that work together in a restaurant will never be family in the literal sense. But when you have the right group of people, when you've been working together for a very long time, you start to feel like family. And when you run a company in a very personal and genuine way, it becomes an extension of who you are. And when you leave something like that, you feel like you've lost a piece of your identity. Now, that said, in the beginning of that whole process, and I write about this in the book, my dad sat down and gave me the advice that when you're going through challenging times, the best thing that you can do, which isn't always best for you in the short term, but it is in the long term, is to make the commitment that at every turn you will ask yourself what right looks like and do that. And doing what's right, if you make that decision at the onset, you never have to make another decision again because while many things in life sit in the gray, when you really boil it down, what, what is right is more often than not very black and white. And it just became clear to me that what right was, was me taking a step back such that the company I built could stay together. And knowing that, I mean, listen, I have a lot of years left on this earth and I have plenty of opportunities to build something else and I'm excited for that next chapter. Let's talk a bit about unreasonable hospitality, um, the remarkable power of giving people more than they expect. Um, tell us a little bit about the book and the messaging. The book is filled with all of the lessons I've learned about service and leadership over the course of my career in hospitality. It's my urging to people to be as relentless, as intentional, as unreasonable in their, uh, in their pursuit of hospitality as they are in pursuit of whatever product they're serving. Um, I wrote it for people in, in my industry because I've been very blessed to work with and for some amazing people and have learned some amazing things along the way that I wanted to share. But I also wrote it for people in all industries because... I believe that whatever you do for a living, you can make the choice to be in the hospitality industry. And I think that when you look at the world right now, and I chose to write this during COVID, 
with the division and with the adversity and the struggle that's happening all around us that hospitality is the greatest ingredient to solve all those problems. I, I really believe, I mean, we are globally a service economy now. And anyone that chooses to put hospitality at the center of every decision will be a part of the team that separates themselves from the pack. I, I also believe that hospitality is about relationships and the lessons I learned about how to run a restaurant, how to lead a team and serve them as well as all of us collectively serving our guests, I think are those that can be used not only in work, but in life as well. I think COVID gave me the space and the grace to take the time to really invest in this book. Um, and it felt like in this transitional time in my life and my career, that this was the opportune time to do it. You mentioned um, about the global society being a service one and, and also those injecting hospitality into it will be far more successful. T tell me about like the distinguish, uh, distinguishing between the two. I mean, I think it's, it's anyone, listen, no matter what you do, there are filters through which you make decisions. Um, people need to determine their core values and their non-negotiables. I think for a long time recently, there's been this digital transformation, right? That has actually caused us to drift apart from one another. I think there has been the efficiency race with companies like Amazon competing in a race to the bottom to see how quickly you can get something at the lowest price to your doorstep without ever interacting with another human being. Um, and by the way, there's, there's a place for all of those things, right? And the efficiency of companies like Amazon or the digital transformation that has occurred with things like Uber and all of that, they have made our lives better in some ways. But I also believe they've been taken too far. And people have been so focused on product, they've stopped focusing on people. Um, and when I think about the world that I want to live in, which... By the way, following COVID is the world that most people want to live in. When, when we were all in lockdown, people didn't stop buying stuff. The thing that people craved more than anything else was connection. And I believe, especially looking forward with the uncertain economic times that we're walking into right now, as people tighten their drawstrings, that people will focus on spending their money with the brands, the people, the companies, however you want to articulate it, that give them a sense of connection. I think that is the stickiest thing in the world. I've been talking about like iPhones recently. Everyone talks about the stickiness of Apple, right? Like if you are an iPhone person, it will be very difficult for Samsung to ever get you to buy one of their phones because you like the way that having an iPhone makes you feel. But there is no thing, no product that can ever make you feel as good as a person can. And a company that chooses to prioritize hospitality starts to look at how every one of their actions makes either 
the people they work with or those that they serve feel, that will be as important a part of the decision-making process as anything else. One of the um, lovely uh, things that you um, talk about in your book is the um, difference between or the act of service compared to hospitality and um, a large amount of our listeners work in uh, the hospitality industry all over the globe. What what sort of advice would you have for them that are to, you know, take their um, career to the next level in a service sense and hospitality sense? Well, it'd be two different things because I think they're two different things. The the quote I use in the book is service is black and white and hospitality is color. It it goes back to the Maya Angelou thing. People will forget what you say. They'll forget what you do. They'll never forget how you make them feel. Service is what you do. Hospitality is how you make them feel. Um, It's a hard thing to acknowledge (laughs) sometimes when you do what we do. And I mean, listen, I am a perfectionist and I focus an unreasonable amount of energy on making sure every detail of the service and the experience is as perfect as humanly possible. But the reality is this. And if you think back to the great meals you've had, most of the small specific service details are ones that you struggle to remember. But the way that you felt at the end of that meal, the way that the people who were serving you engaged with you and connected with you and made you feel a sense of belonging and made you feel seen, that is hard to ever forget. Um, In restaurants, service is getting the right plate to the right person within the right amount of time. Hospitality is the feeling that the person has when they leave the room the extent to which they felt a genuine connection with you or, and whether you created the conditions such that they felt more connected to the people they dined with at the end of that meal than they did at the beginning. That's the beautiful opportunity or perhaps even responsibility that we have in restaurants because restaurants are important things. I think it's so valuable and necessary to name for yourself why your work matters. I believe in the nobility of hospitality, that we can help people celebrate, we can give them the grace to forget, we can inspire them through our attention to detail, or, I mean, and I genuinely believe we can make the world a kinder place by being very nice to everyone that walks through our doors. Um, I talk about hospitality and service, because by the way, you can't have one without the other. Like you need to have the excellence. That is part of the foundation. But if you're stopping there, you're losing out on the opportunity to have a real genuine and meaningful impact on every one of your stakeholders. How do you go about instilling that in your staff and in in your workforce to create the culture um, that, that can deliver that? What gets talked about is what people start thinking about and what your entire team is thinking about is what defines a culture. I think how a leader of a restaurant approaches a pre-meal meeting is such an important part of what the restaurant ends up being. What you talk about, the why behind it, everything I'm saying to you right now, the nobility of the work, the way in which you can impact people's lives, sharing things that have inspired you, inviting other people to the conversation to do the same in return. A lot of people squander those meetings. They talk about what is the new wine. They talk about what is the new dish. 
and then they go into service without recognizing that that time spent before you open your doors to the world is where the people you work with can cease being a collection of individuals and can come together as a team. Um, when you lead a meeting with your team, you can either let their energy impact you or you can choose to have your energy impact them. That's step one. Step two is giving people not only the permission and the encouragement to do something, but the resources to do it as well. An idea is just an idea if you don't back it up with resources. And step three, and I'm giving you the, the Cliff's notes here, but step three is when someone does a great job, you scream it from the mountaintops and you affirm and celebrate them in front of their peers because what gets affirmed publicly is what people strive to emulate. I don't care how cool you are and how much you don't think you crave or need affirmation. It's a part of the human condition. We all love it when we receive it. And so it's about setting expectations, telling your team what's important to you as an organization, inspiring them to want to go there and celebrating them when they do. The world of uh, hospitality and also uh, writing books is a little bit different to the world of television. You've got your first show that's about to be launched called The Big Brunch. What's that been like, being part of that? And that was fun. That was fun for a few different reasons. Uh, first, I've never had the time to do something like that. And when I was asked to do it, my inclination was to not do it. Um because I just hadn't seen myself as someone that does that sort of thing. But I also think that experiencing new things is important. Um, and you never know what you're going to learn out of a new experience. And so I did, and I loved it. I worked alongside amazing people with Dan, Levy, and Sola. And um, I think there's also something really nice. I talk about how like you have in your gut this this like need to be an entrepreneur. It's also nice once in a while just to be an employee. And when you're just on a show, you're an employee, right? Like you don't need to worry about all this stuff. You just show up and do your job. And there is actually something beautiful about that. But why, why I ultimately said yes, wasn't just for a new experience. And it wasn't just because I was able to fit it into the schedule. It was also because the show is different. It's a cooking competition show, but the drama of that show is not rooted in being dramatic. It's not rooted in what you see in a lot of those where there's yelling and screaming and, a, and an environment of hostility. It was really kind of centered around the very things that I believe so fundamentally in, which are no matter whether you won that show or you didn't, whether you won the competition or you didn't, the idea was to invest deeply in the various chefs that were competing such that when they left, they could go out and be a better version of themselves than when they got there. Um, and any opportunity I get to be a part of something that does that is something that fills my gas tank and leaves me charged and inspired and fulfilled and inclined to want to keep pushing forward and doing more. 
but it is a weird experience. I mean, it's a very different experience. And I, you know, what, what's funny from my perspective is I haven't seen the show yet. It'll come out in, well, I guess almost a, a week or just over a week from now. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing what it turns out to be. You know, the thing about TV though, this is what I will say. I, I played a very different role in the show than I have in my restaurants. And that in one sense, I was the guy in charge. And in another sense, I was, for lack of a better term, an employee. But it's a team effort. And that was fun to see how similar the environments were because of that. I mean, there, you watch these shows in the same way that you go to a restaurant and you have no concept of how many people work so hard to breathe life into them. The camera people, the crew people, the people in the kitchens and all over the place wardrobe, you know, makeup, all the, like so many people that give so much of themselves because they believe in something. And I think over the last year, I've recognized that I'm not in the restaurant business. I'm in the hospitality business. And I've done that through restaurants and I want to continue doing that through restaurants, but you can do that through so many other mediums. And that is an electrifying idea to me and something that I want to make sure I dedicate time to continue exploring over the course of my life. Well, uh, you've had an incredible impact on so many people and no doubt will impact so many more with your incredible hospitality and approach to, to life. What do you love about what you do? Well, what do I not? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, like, I, I really do mean it. Listen, there's stressful days. There's days that aren't great. That's kind of part of the reality. But If it, aren't, if it isn't for the bad days, it's probably impossible to appreciate the good ones. Um, I'm, I, I feel fortunate that I really like almost all the elements. I, I, I like the business of restaurants. I'm inspired to manage a good business and to try to take the same creativity to managing numbers as I do managing the experience or the food or the music or the design. I, I enjoy that. I, I love leading a team. I, I love working with people. I like getting a group of people and getting to know them as individuals such that I can figure out what makes everyone special so that I can put them in a position where they can be the most successful they can be. I, I love affirming people through praise. I love investing in people through criticism. I love surrounding myself with people who are willing to do the same in return. I love the look on someone's face when they receive a gift that I'm responsible for giving them through the experiences we create. Um, I also have an optimist memory. <laughs> so <laughs> how I describe an optimist memory is that, you know, the stuff that you don't enjoy, you just file it away. Not that you like bottle it up deep inside, but it's not worth dwelling on. And, um, honestly, I, I fell in love with what I believe is the thing I was meant to fall in love with very early on in life. 
And through the various chapters in my career, I've found a specific amount of passion for so many different elements of the job. And And I actually paused as I just said the word job because it didn't feel right coming out of my mouth. One of, one of the pieces of advice I got early on when I first started the company was from a very dear friend's father who has become a very dear friend as well, who's also in the restaurant business. And he said, hey, you know, you always hear people give this wisdom that the secret to happiness is to, to keep life and work separate, to like really be mindful of the boundaries between the two. But if you want to be great at both, that may not be the best approach for you because you're going to find yourself invested so deeply in each one that you'll feel guilty when you're pursuing one that you're not pursuing the other. And in hospitality and in restaurants, the beautiful thing is the same wisdom that will make you successful at one will make you successful in the other as well. And he inspired me to let the two bleed into one another. Um, and I say that because as I use the word job, it didn't feel right because, I mean, there's the old adage, right? When you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that doesn't mean things won't be hard. If things aren't hard, it means you're not pushing hard enough. But that's a very long answer. The real answer should have been all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Will, you're an absolute inspiration and it's an honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a tiny bit of your story. Um, good luck with the show and everything that you do from here on. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. In the spirit of affirmation, I want to tell you this. It was 5 o'clock p.m. where I am right now at the end of a long day. And you, your voice and your energy is like a warm bath on a cold day. And I just want to thank you for easing me out of a chaotic day and into the night. And I think you're very, very good at what you do. And um, I'm sure everyone that listens to you on a regular basis would agree. But I, I appreciate you having me on this. And um, I'm hopeful that we can stay in touch. Um, well, I'm, I'm blushing and I'm hopeful too. Um, thanks, Will. That was uh, amazing. And um, hopefully catch up again soon. I look forward to it. You take care. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.